Uh, good morning. Good morning. I am Felix Trevino. I'm the pastor here at Impact City Church. You might be wondering, why is Felix wearing a cap and a t-shirt and jeans in church? It's because Felix was just spent the weekend at a retreat, men's retreat in Banquete, and I am tired and I'm feeling a little sick. So forgive me if I didn't get all dressed up for you guys today. I was kind of like, well, I'll bring him the gospel. And if that doesn't satisfy him, I don't know what will. So <laughs> thank you guys. Camo Cap, we had a good time. And actually, this is John Carter was saying, we, uh, you see, what, what did we do? We, we made a, we, we got there, we did like a couple skits with some of the other guys. Then we built one of the biggest bonfires I've seen in a while. And then uh, we made pan de campo. So if you don't know what pan de campo is, you're missing out. I mean, raise the roof. Pan de campo is amazing. Uh, we introduced Jared and, and, and Giancarlo to what Pan de Campo was. And uh, when we were fixed to, to go to sleep, I asked Jared, do you think Pan de Campo will be served in heaven? And he said, if you would have asked me yesterday, I would have told you no. So, <laughs> but now it will be. Uh, man, what else did we do, man? We woke up and uh, had great breakfast. And then we also uh, went out and did some roping, uh, trying to learn how to rope. We had some target practice where uh, I came in like second place. Uh, I just got to say that. I think I was robbed, uh, you know. And so we were shooting and planking. And then at the, uh, the other thing we did, we went and we found these wild hogs. And we put them in this corral. And we had this job where we had to chase out these, these little wild hogs and like, pick them up. And we had to like catch them. And it was a, a great team building thing. It was awesome. Then we fished. And then we actually had a sermon out there down by the creek, just like Jesus. And we all laid up in the grass. It was beautiful. An amazing time. So if you guys want more information about Exodus, uh, look them up on uh, YouTube or look them up on Facebook, Exodus Project. It's run by uh, Moses Vasquez and uh, Omar Garcia and a couple other people there, Samantha Garcia as well. And so they're an amazing bunch of people who just want to bring people from the city out into the country and just have some redneck fun. Amen? Amen. If you would please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, verse 14 is where we're going to be today. Now we've been going verse by verse through the book of Mark. And we're barely on verse 14. Today we're going to look at just two verses today. If you don't have a Bible, and you're like, man, I don't have a Bible, uh, I'm hoping you put the, the, the words on the screen. I kind of forgot because I was sick last night. So we have extra Bibles in the back. Or uh, Ray, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Also, I hope you picked up a, a, a worship folder if you're a guest here today. Uh, I'd like for you to maybe fill that out for us. We're not going to stalk you. I promise we won't go to your front door and, like, you know, try to knock on your door and be like, hey, you know, how, whatever. No, we just want to have some type of connection with you guys and see how everything's going with you guys. So if you would please fill out a worship folder today, a connection card, something. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and uh, Ray can get you one. That way you can follow along with the, with the text today. But uh, like I said, we're in Mark 1.14. I hope you're taking notes as well. We talked last week about maybe buying a journal and kind of journaling throughout all these uh, next couple of weeks. We're going verse by verse to the book of Mark, so that's going to take us closely a year and a half, two years. So at the end of all that time, if you take notes on every Sunday through the book of Mark, you would have a book of just notes and great things to look back on for that gospel of Mark. And I really urge you guys to do that. I want you guys to have a hunger for God's word. I want you guys to really seek the kingdom of God throughout his, uh, the scriptures and really see what he speaks, what he's going to say to you through that, okay? So let's start off right like this. You're like, Felix, just shut up and get to read the scripture. Let's go. It's lunchtime. Mark 1.14. Now after John was arrested. Now hold up right there. After John was arrested. Now Mark really slacked off on this part. 
Okay, because not only was he arrested, later on, eventually, uh, there was more to the story with John. And I think we got to actually just stop and take a little sidetrack and just kind of look at John real quick. Because John is an amazing guy. He was, um, he was arrested, okay? He was arrested, taken into prison, and then uh, upon the request of a vengeful stripper, he was beheaded by the king. Okay? So, you know what? He had a really hard time, John the Baptist, Okay? I encourage you guys to write this down. Following Jesus may end up badly. And sometimes trusting in God means you don't get off the cross. The reality is that John the Baptist was a crazy guy for Jesus. He was called by God. He was sent by God to do some radical things in his life. And at the end, it cost him his life. John was radical. An amazing guy. Because John the Baptist literally was called by God. He went on mission into the wilderness, which is just crazy. We talked about that last week where he was in the wild. The dude was like wearing camel hair coats and leather belts and eating locusts and honey and getting all, you know, Duck Dynasty on us. And he had a big beard and he was a real, you know, muscle type of guy. And he was radical for doing that. He was radical for rebuking those around him. He, he didn't hold back. He didn't, he didn't rub your feet when you came to see him. He was, he was a, a radical guy. If he had sin in your life, he was going to point it out. And so this is why he got beheaded, because he told King Herod, hey, it's not right for you to sleep with your brother's, uh, your brother's wife, so stop messing around with your sister-in-law, bro. That's totally wrong. That's sinful. And so the sister-in-law told her daughter, who was a, a dancer for the king, said, next time you go dance for the king and he likes it, and he says, well, what can, you, can I give you? You tell him that you want the head of John the Baptist. So a vengeful bunch of uh, sinful people there that John was not afraid to say, hey, that's wrong. He was thrown into prison for following Jesus, and later it resulted in his death because of that. Make no mistake, he was radical. Now, if you guys have any questions about being radical, we do meet on Wednesday nights at Miller's Barbecue. And we're actually going through the book Radical by David Platt, and a well known pastor, uh, amazing speaker, great guy. And so, if you guys have any questions of what it means to be radical for Jesus and actually be radical for Jesus, uh, I think we can actually get a lot of good information from that book. And so, if you want to join us every Wednesday night, 6 30, Miller's Barbecue on Weber, you guys are more than welcome to come hang out, eat some awesome. Uh, chop beef, Frito pie, and praise Jesus. All right? I swear there will be uh, pan de campo and Frito pie from Miller's in heaven. Amen. amen. Someone's saying amen. 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 Rednecks. Okay, now let's continue. Uh, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now the word gospel we talked about a few weeks ago, it means literally the good news. The good news. The gospel is good news. But when Jesus said the word gospel in this context, he used the word an euangelion. Y'all say it with me. Uan, euangelion. Euangelion. The word E-U in, in the Greek literally means good. Good. Uh, galion. A galion really means news. Okay? So it was good news. Okay? And this is a military term. Okay? This is a military term. This isn't just kind of like, hey, I got an euangelion for you. You know, this is a military term. And this is what would happen. 
back in the day, back in Bible times, uh, there was no Twitter, there was no Facebook, there was no iPhones, nada, nothing like that, all right? And so they would literally, those people would be in the town and in the city and everything, and whenever they got word that there was an approaching army, there was some impending danger coming towards them, they would send their army out, and everyone would run into the safety of the city walls. And they would stay in there, and the army would go out to engage in battle with the enemy, okay? Along with the army, they would send out a messenger, okay? And this messenger would run behind the army, who would stay out of the battle and just kind of watch over the battle, okay? And as the enemy army and, and, and the good guys and the bad guys, they just, they, they, they fought and they clashed and they, they had war, he would look and whoever won he would run back to the town, knock on the city gates, and say, hey guys, uh, we won. And that word of we won, we're good, is called an euangelion. He would come up and say, guys, we got an euangelion, we won. And it basically meant this, that the impending danger was done. That we're safe. Everyone's safe. We're not going to die today. Our army has won. And this is the message that Jesus brought. He brought an euangelion when he first rolled up on the scene. And it's important for us today because it is the core of what we believe. It is at the core of what we believe. Christianity at the core is not based on a religion. Christianity at the core is not based on a set of rules to live by. Christianity at the core is not based on a dead man's beliefs or opinions. Christianity on the, at its core is based, not based on a legend or a fairy tale or an old story that was brought down for years and years and years and generations. Christianity at its core is based on a victory in the bloodiest, most important battle ever in the world. If you're taking notes, I, I tweeted this. Um, our faith is based on the uh, Evangelion of Jesus Christ's victory over sin and death. So listen, where religion tells you, when religion tells you, do this and you'll be good. Do these things and you'll be good. Do this motion, say this prayer, act like this, do this and you'll be good. Christianity and Jesus says, because I've done this, you are now good. You see, we can't be good on our own. There's nothing you can do to be good. The Bible says that our good deeds are like filthy rags in the eyes of God. So it literally took Jesus to do something for us to be good. It's the essence of what we believe. God loves you. God speaks to you. God forgives you. God lavishes grace on you. God connects with you, but not because of what you have done, but because of what his son has done. That is the Evangelion of Jesus Christ. The news that Jesus is going to end all the wrath of God upon us. Upon the things that we deserve. If you don't believe me, uh, just look at how Jesus said it uh, later on in uh, verse 15. He said, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He doesn't go off and say, Hey guys, check this out. The kingdom is at, uh, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
I just, I just made up this awesome religion. It's a new religion. It's pretty cool. You don't need a, a card to be a, a part of it. Just sign up right here. I'll get you a free t-shirt. And you can be a part of this awesome new religion. All you got to do is do these four steps, these simple four steps, and you will be saved. He doesn't say that. He says something radical that shook everyone to the core of their bones that day. He said, repent and believe the gospel. And before that, he said something even more earth-shaking. He said, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. The, the phrase, the time is fulfilled, can only be understood when we understand how God interacts with our sin. Like the only way we can understand the, the, what the, the, the implements of the word, the time is fulfilled, is, is that when we understand how God interacts with our sin. Look at Exodus 34, 6. Uh, turn your Bibles there. Exodus, the second book of the Bible, towards the front. 34, verse 6. It says this. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiven iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, of the children, of the children, of the children, of the third and the fourth generations. What he's saying here is, yes, God is slow to anger. That is very clear in the scriptures. Yes, God is patient with us when we mess up. Yes, God has mercy and grace upon us when we mess up. But listen, it goes back and it says, he will not clear the guilty of their sins, of their transgressions. He can't. The only way that is possible is to the blood of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is a just God. God is a just, and because he is just, he has to deal with the injustice. When we sin and we cause an injustice to God, God is our king. And when we sin against the king, that's called treason. And treason is, is payable by death. That's fair. Look at Romans 6.23. I mean, the first part just says the wages of sin is death. Genesis 2, 16 through 17 says, And the Lord God commanded every man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of knowledge and of good evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. It wasn't poisoned. They weren't going to die because it was poisoned or it was a bad apple or it wasn't even an apple. They were going to die because they disobeyed God. And that's sin. And when you, when you sin against an almighty, infinite God, there is an almighty and infinite punishment for that sin. Like when you're kids, you do something bad in school, you get in trouble, well, you get detention. Maybe you got to write words on the chalkboard. Okay, you get a little bit older, and you get a job, and you get in trouble at work. And now your boss is going to give you some pay time off, and you're going to, you know, do something like that. You get even older, and you get further along in life, and you do something against your country. What is the, the payment for treason? It's death. The higher the risk, the, the higher the punishment. And when we go against God, there is a very high punishment to pay. It's the ultimate punishment of death. Because he's God. He's the almighty God. 
And so when Jesus walks up, he says this. He says, the time is fulfilled. Like it's over. Like it's done. There's been 400 years of silence throughout the time before Jesus comes to this point. And the Jews and the Israelites are just trying to figure out where they're at with God. They haven't really heard from God in a while. And they know they've been messing up. They know they've been straying from God. They know that they've been really going bad. And here comes Jesus and he says, guys, guys, guess what? The time is fulfilled. Can you imagine the thought that was going through the Jews' head at that time? When he hears the word, the time is fulfilled, that means that God's wrath is coming. And if you look at scriptures, whenever that phrase, the time is fulfilled, has been used, you got to think about different stories that have happened throughout the scriptures. And as a Jewish uh, boy or girl at that time, you got to think that at that moment you're thinking, oh my gosh, I remember the story of Noah's Ark. But God said the time is fulfilled. I cannot turn away from the iniquities of the earth. Noah, get your hammer, get your nails, let's build a boat. We can't, we can't, you know, we can't ignore that. And, and then they must be thinking, man, I remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, where sexual sin and, and just sins were just running rampant. And God was telling Abraham, I'll spare him, I'll spare him, I'll spare him. And Abraham kept pushing. And finally God said, you know what, the time is fulfilled. It's done. I'm going to wipe it out. Start over again. I'm going to deal with sin justly because I'm a just God and even though it might hurt me as God I cannot ignore sin and Jesus says this game over but listen just as you're feeling down Jesus rolls up he says the time is fulfilled the kingdom of God is at hand you're like man I screwed up last night I know I messed up I know I haven't repented I know everything's going bad there was a guy named John the Baptist who was asking people to repent I just kind of ignored that flyer in the mail and he and then Jesus says something radical. He says, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. These words separate Christianity from every other religion in the world. Because whereas every other religion will say, you have sinned, there is no forgiveness, there is no grace, unless you do these things on your own. And if you don't do it right, you're still going to die. You're still going to be sinful. Christianity says, there is hope and a way out. Jesus basically said the time is fulfilled. God's wrath is coming. It's going to be horrible, but don't you worry because God's wrath will be poured out on me. That is the gospel. That's what Paul says in Romans, in Romans 5, he says, for while we we're still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. He says, for we... Uh, scarcely die and for the righteous person through perhaps though a righteous, righteous person would dare even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us. Christ died for us as unrighteous people. Since, since therefore we have been justified. Now justified basically means that your name is clear. From the past from the present, from the future. When Christ died and when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, all your sins were gone. It's over. He doesn't even remember them. He says, for as far as from the east to the west, I will cast away your sins. I will not remember them. It says, by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were 
his enemies, we reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Salvation is something that happens throughout your life. You have a moment of salvation, and as you continue to walk in, in Christ, he's continually cleansing you of your sin. You're continually walking in the light and learning how to be a better person. That's called working out your, your salvation with fear and trembling. And Jesus did all of this for us upon the cross. Listen, we cannot afford to trust in anything else but Jesus Christ. Because it is the only thing that would save us. If you're going to trust in anything, trust in Jesus. Um, you can spend your life trusting in other things that offer a Savior and offer hope and life. But listen, none of those things conquered death. They don't. The tragedy in, in so many of our lives is that we're looking and putting the hope of our life into religions that are lifeless. And yet this might sound a little self-centered and cocky, but I'm going to tell you that we're right. As a Christian, you must know that you, are, you have the right way. Mormon, Jehovah Witness, Islam, Buddhist, Hindu, Scientology, New Age. They got it wrong, guys. And if that doesn't light up your heart to want to share what you have with someone else, then I don't know what you're doing here. The fact that we know that there are people out there that are, are, are on their way to an eternal separation from God eventually should cause us to be radically different in the way that we live. We should be screaming out the Evangelion of Jesus Christ to them. We should be witnessing to them. The words that Jesus spoke in Mark 1.15 should cause us to do that. It should encourage us to be radical. Jesus Christ was led to the cross, and he died for us upon Calvary. Not for us to have a mediocre life. Not for us to simply sit here and go to church on Sundays. Not for us to just keep it to ourselves. Jesus Christ died on the cross at Calvary so that we could be radical and tell the world the Evangelion of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the mission of God. His, his suffering for our pleasure. His death for our life. I'm going to close with this. There's a book called The Valley of Vision. It was written by a bunch of old Puritan guys back in the early 1800s, late 1800s. And in this book, there's a bunch of prayers. And I want to end with one of these prayers. And as we get up and start uh, playing our last song for you guys today, and as you guys go off and, and, uh, and, and you know, hang out here, grab some donuts, a coffee or something, I want you guys to think about the words in this prayer. Okay, and I want to ask you a couple questions too. Number one, are you trusting in the gospel that says do this so that you can be saved? and have a great life? Or are you trusting in a Savior who says, I have done this so that you may have life? And really ask yourself that. What am I trusting in? Am I trusting in a set of rules and regulations that if I don't follow them, I'm, I'm, I'm completely just, you know, messed up from that point on? Or am I trusting in a Savior who, give, who has given us a path of righteousness to follow? Who am I really trusting in? Let's please bow our heads. This prayer is called Love Lusters at Calvary. We actually sang a song about it a couple weeks ago called Love Shines. 
And this is a prayer, and after this, I'll, I'll, I'll just close it out. It says, Christ in all anguish, that I might be all joy. Cast off, that I may be brought in. Shot down as an enemy, that I might be welcomed as a friend. Surrendered to hell's worst, that I may attain heaven's best. Christ was stripped, that I may be clothed. Christ was wounded, that I may be healed. A thirst for Christ, so that I might have a drink. Tormented, that I may be comforted. Christ was made a shame, that I might inherit glory. Christ entered the darkness, so that I might have eternal light. Beloved church, Jesus Christ died for you. He died for you so that you can have eternal and awesome life. Not a life filled with mediocre, going to church on Sundays, but a life that is radically different for the people around you. He died so that you can be a light. And I'm asking you, can you trust in that today? Are you willing to step out and be a little uncomfortable and tell people the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere you go? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for today. Thank you for this group of people. Thank you for your message, and thank you for uh, this church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's so stand.